0: Let's take our Bibles to Exodus chapter twenty this evening. Exodus chapter number twenty. I think it's been uh, four weeks since we last picked up our study of the Ten Commandments, Uh, and tonight we we continue the study with the seventh commandment found in Exodus chapter twenty, verse number fourteen. In these Ten Commandments, what we have found is that God places demands on every part of His society. He places demands on every part of the family and every part of each person that is in covenant relationship with Him. And the Lord scarcely in these Ten Commandments provides a uh, reason for the commandments that He gives His people. uh, And that means that He simply exercises complete authority over His chosen people. And these commands are the foundation of the society of the nation of Israel. So they really leave no wiggle room. And though they leave no wiggle room, uh, it is not as though God is a cruel tyrant in His giving of the Ten Commandments. These are for the benefit of His people. Right. And we know that if they, would ob- if they would have disobeyed God because of the promises that He made within this covenant, that He would have saw to it personally that they were cursed for their disobedience just as he would have saw to it that they were blessed for their obedience to the, com- to the commands g- given in, in the Ten Commandments. But as we observe our society and other historical societies and societies that are around us, we see that God has clearly embedded uh, human history and human life, human reality, human experience with the truth uh, that, that following these Ten Commandments is, is a way to a healthy and peaceful society. And this is most obviously demonstrated with, these, with the section of the Ten Commandments found here, beginning with the Sixth Commandment, going through the Ninth Commandment, that are really succinct in nature. Verse uh, 13 of Exodus 20, Thou shalt not kill, thou shalt not commit adultery, thou shalt not steal, thou shalt not bear false witness against thy, thy neighbor. And when we, what we find is that when a society accepts killing or makes normal killing, it is harming its own future. When a society normalizes adultery, it it leads to a breakdown in societal trust. When a society accepts stealing, it leads to a tyrannical anarchy. And when a society accepts lying, it leads to a distortion of the truth and, and mass confusion in that society. Suffice to say that these commandments are not only given as the foundation of the Israelite society, but they're given as good principles that can govern our lives as well. Now we're not considering the Ten Commandments primarily from a political perspective, but rather we're taking the Ten Commandments and applying them to our own hearts. This is clearly what Jesus did in the New Testament and as members of Christ's church, we're not a part of the covenant of Exodus chapter 20. That does not apply to you and I. But Christ takes the law that is found here and elevates it. He applies it deeper than just external conformity, but he requires inward fidelity uh, from from us that are in his church. Right. Yeah. So we're going to take that and consider now the seventh commandment found in Exodus chapter 20 verse 14, where it says simply, thou shalt not commit adultery. And let's, uh, let's pray before we go any farther. Lord, we pray that you would quiet our minds, quiet our hearts as we consider your word tonight. Uh, give us the energy that we need to study your word. Give us a submissive submissive spirit, ears to hear what you have to say and help us to be obedient to your word tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. We live in an, adul- an adulterous generation. In our culture, adultery is big business. Uh, Hollywood is filled with adulterers and their mistresses and the vast majority of their creation is filled with adultery. It is not the romance of uh, of two faithful married uh, of a faithful married couple that sells uh, box office tickets but it is rather the forbidden romance that sells the tickets our appetite for uh, for adultery goes beyond just the hollywood industry as well uh, many romance no- romance novels are written about forbidden uh, marriage and adultery The music that we listen to, both in the country genre and the pop genres, are filled with adulterous lyrics and adulterous obsession. We are obsessed with adultery. And this obsession with adultery has had a devastating impact on our families. The statistics that you might find online anywhere are bound to be wrong because who's going to be truthful uh, about, about cheating on their spouse? And even if they were... Truthful, ace, someone who is a, a, a cheater of this nature is not to be trusted in any way. So the numbers vary, and the numbers are not to be trusted. But, but according to statistics, they say that, uh, that uh, uh, about one-fifth of married people are said to have cheated on their spouse at least one time. And this, by the way, does not include the divorces and remarriages and the divorces and the remarriages that God certainly considers to be illegitimate. Uh, and considers those to be adultery as well. In fact, that has become so common in our society that we've coined a phrase for that, serial monogamy, moving from one committed relationship to another committed relationship to another committed relationship. Make no mistake about it, that is adultery. In God's mind, that is certainly adultery. And yet when we see God's commands on this issue, adultery and adultery, Uh, and marriage, we note the simple command found in Exodus 20 verse 14, Do not do it. Thou shalt not commit adultery. And let me give you three headings as we think about this seventh commandment tonight. First of all, the seventh commandment protects the marriage union. The seventh commandment protects the marriage union. Isn't it interesting that, that in this commandment we do not have an explicit prohibition of all sexual activity outside of marriage. But very specifically, it is adultery which is prohibited in the seventh commandment. Adultery, of course, is that specific sexual relationship of a married man or woman to someone who is not his or her spouse. And the fact that this is the specific prohibition of the seventh commandment tells us that the primary purpose of the Seventh Commandment is to protect the marriage union. It is to protect the family. Of course, if we understand the Ten Commandments as the foundation of societal law, this makes a lot of sense. Because when you commit adultery, it breaks down the most sacred, the most precious human commitment and human relationship in the world uh, today. And when there is a breakdown in this type of relationship... It is most certainly going to lead to other breakdowns in other types of relationships as well. If you can't stay faithful to your wife, how am I to believe that you're going to be faithful to your political promises? If you cheat on your spouse, how am I to expect that you're not going to cheat on our business deal? And so the breakdown of this relationship leads to the breakdown of other relationships. Trust is the key cornerstone of of a cooperative, peaceful community. And if you have betrayed the highest trust that is placed in you, then it really makes you unfit for society. This explains why sexual sin in the Bible oftentimes uh, 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 has attached to it the death penalty because this is a very serious crime. It is not merely what you do with your body, but it has widespread societal implications. So when we talk about the inundation of adultery in our society, the normalization of sexual sin in our society, it should really make us quite fearful about the future of the nation. And indeed, we're already seeing the consequences of such sexual sin in our society. Albert Moeller wisely said this, A culture that embraces adultery accepts within itself a poison pill for every other relationship, a toxic substance that threatens every other commitment. So strict adherence to this commandment is critical to a peaceful, orderly society that reflects the character of God in this world. Now one of the rules of interpretation for the Ten Commandments is what we might call the rule of kind. We haven't mentioned this uh, explicitly in our uh, study of the Ten Commandments, but we have used it a couple of times in interpreting the Ten Commandments. And what the rule of kind suggests is that is that when a commandment narrowly prohibits one specific kind of sin uh, that we can rightfully interpret that commandment as being a prohibition of all sins of that that same kind or that same family, if you will in other words, though the specific focus of the seventh commandment is that of adultery, it is not unreasonable to con- conclude that the seventh commandment also pro- also forbids other forms Of sexual sin as well. And indeed the Bible has a lot to say about our sexual activity. Uh, God really does not hold back in his prohibitions of uh, of, uh, uh, his restrictions of our sexual activity. God tells Israel who they can and can't have sex with. Homosexuality, incest, bestiality, uh, these are strictly and clearly forbidden in the pages of scripture. And in addition to that we find a couple of times where fornication is forbidden as well. and Fornication is sexual activity before marriage and that is strictly forbidden in the pages of scripture as well. God does not buy into the popular retorts of the day of sexual freedom, free love, or sexual autonomy. No, what you do in your bedroom is very much a con- of, of great concern to God. And when you compile all of it together, all that the scriptures say about our sexual activity, it is clear that what God expects and demands of His people is a lifelong, monogamous, heterosexual marriage. And any sexual activity outside of the bounds of that lifelong, monogamous, heterosexual marriage is strictly forbidden in the pages of Scripture. According to God, it is only after you have made a lifelong commitment that you can enjoy the pleasure of sexual intimacy with another. It is only after that marriage commitment. Now the restric- restrictions on sexual activity is not because sex is bad, but rather because sex is a powerful force for both good and, and bad. Intercourse in a marriage binds the, ma- the marriage together, but intercourse outside of the marriage tears your whole life apart. So, uh, so, 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 so sexual activity is a powerful force. And we should also mention that the seventh commandment requires a warning to be given about non-marital intimacy between members of the opposite sex. In other words, if you are married here today, whether man or woman, the seventh commandment, commandment warns you of fostering intimacy with a member of the opposite sex that is not your spouse. Because the sin of adultery is so serious, anything that might lead to adultery should be carefully Avoided. A flirtatious comment, seeking emotional support in a member of the opposite sex, are things that should be avoided in light of the seventh commandment. Adultery rarely begins with the sexual act. It usually begins long before the sexual activity. And the, sexual, the, the, the seventh commandment, rather, calls for a protection of that marriage union, both sexual and sexual and uh, relational, both sexual, relational, and emotional. Thus, the seventh commandment also uh, requires positive action. It's not simply that we are, to, uh, we are to avoid adultery and anything that might lead to adultery, but we are to foster that marital intimacy. We are to foster that marital intimacy within, uh, within the bounds of, of, uh, of marriage. And there have been some misunderstandings uh, throughout church history regarding uh, what the scripture teaches about sexual activity, especially early on in church history. Uh, early on, there was, uh, there was uh, seemingly a misunderstanding that, that sexual activity was basically a necessary evil for procreation of the human, human race. A man by the name of Jerome, who lived in the 300s, said this, Do you imagine that we approve of any sexual intercourse except for the procreation of children? The implication was that he didn't. He went on to say, He who is too ardent a lover of his own wife is an adulterer. Jerome was quite wrong on this issue. A man who lived a couple hundred years before Jerome, Justin Martyr, agreed with the assessment of Jerome when he said we Christians marry only only to produce children. A man by the name of Tertullian actually favored the extinction of the human race to the procreation of human race. And these men, along with many others, uh, were influential in the development of the Catholic doctrine of requiring celibacy in the Catholic priesthood. Uh, Ironically, it was the Puritans much later on that came along and introduced or reintroduced a more uh, sane view of sexuality in in uh, in the mainstream church thought. And their view was that sexual activity was a gift from God given to humanity. And really the Bible is really clear about this. It is a gift from God. And if you don't agree with that, then you're going to have to explain why the book of Song of Solomon is in the canon of Scripture. The Bible really has some very erotic passages of Scripture. Not pornographic, but very erotic passages of Scripture. It's, it's just the truth. It's the reality of of the matter. And so sexual activity is not just for procreational purposes but it is for relational purposes and recreational purposes as long as it is within the marriage union. So the the, the seventh commandment is not meant merely to restrict sexual activity but it is meant to promote sexual activity within the marriage union. So the seventh commandment protects the marriage union. Secondly, I'd like you to think about how the 7th commandment inspects our inner desires. The 7th commandment inspects our inner desires. And we would be remiss to consider this command without spending significant time on the words of Jesus in commentary of the 7th commandment. So if you would turn with me to Matthew chapter 5, where Jesus adds some commentary to to this commandment. In Matthew chapter 5, Verses 27 and 28, Jesus said, Ye have heard that it was said by them of old time, Thou shalt not commit adultery. But I say unto you, that whosoever looketh on a woman to lust after her hath committed adultery with her already in his heart. So Jesus takes the seventh commandment. And he not only applies it to the sexual activity in our lives, but he applies it to the sexual ambition in our hearts. God is as he is as concerned with what is in our hearts as what we do with our bodies. Now notice what Jesus says. He says, "Whosoever looketh on a woman to lust after her." Jesus pinpoints the moment of sin, the moment of adultery to the gaze of a man. And it is not it is not when a man sees the beauty of a woman. It is not even when the man looks at the beauty of a woman, but it is when the man looks at the beauty of a woman to lust after her that the moment of sin ha- has come to pass. And it's no surprise, of course, that the Lord Jesus focuses on men because men are visual creatures. and Whatever captivates the gaze of a man will eventually capture his heart. But the words of Jesus are not narrowly uh, interpreted are not narrowly given just to men nor are they narrowly meant to just talk about our eyes as instruments of lust. But rather, the point that Jesus is making is that that we are not to look for marital connectivity outside of the marriage relationship. We are not to lust after someone else who we think has something that our spouse does not. Now, this the words of Jesus here really hit our generation hard if we're being honest. In our world, it is no longer difficult to access explicit pornographic material. In fact, it is difficult to avoid explicit pornographic material in our world today. With the ubiquity of smartphones and digital devices comes the ubiquity of pornographic material as well. Would it surprise you to find out that over one-third of all internet downloads are related to pornographic material? Over 40 million Americans regularly visit pornographic websites. The average age of exposure in America to pornography is the age of 12. And many of these instances are not intentional, but they are accidental. This is really a huge, huge problem in our world today. Indeed, it's a problem within the church today. With the rapid development of technology and the rapid change that that brings along with it, we are under-equipped in dealing with the dangers of the Internet, in dealing with the dangers of pornography that are a mere few clicks away from our children's eyes. And may God give us as parents the wisdom, the tools, the sobriety, the energy to protect the purity of our children. Parents, I plead with you, do not be naive about this issue. This is not an issue to be naive about. This is a serious, serious issue. This is the nuclear bomb that the devil has to attack the family in our world today. Be vigilant about this particular issue. Guys especially do whatever it takes to not be a statistic, to not view pornographic material. If you are viewing pornography, it is more shameful to continue in that habit than it is to admit it and to seek help. Do whatever is, it is, do whatever is necessary to stop the addiction, to break the addiction. Now to your ladies, pornography may not be as much of a temptation, though I'm not going to completely rule it out with, with you ladies, but it may not be as much of a temptation with ladies as much as it is men. But with the advent of social media, it has, it has led to the the advent of professional liars. You are now able to portray only what you want to the world. And what that has led to is you get to see only what everybody else wants you to see. So the temptation is to see another another family, another man who seems to be everything that you want your husband to be. And you may lust after that. And I'm warning you, do not participate in that lust. Do not allow what you see on a screen to, uh, to, to color the romance of your own marriage. And don't share intimacy with another man, whether emotional or physical, uh, that is not your spouse. So the seventh commandment causes us to look inward and see the causes that lead to physical adultery. And we cannot simply say, well, I have not or would not commit adultery on my spouse. I'm, I'm good. I can wipe my hands and walk away. But rather, we must guard the marriage union by guarding our hearts from the deadly sin of lust. But I want you to consider finally that the seventh commandment demands spiritual fidelity. It demands spiritual fidelity. I mentioned earlier that sex and marriage was a gift from God. You know, God didn't have to create male and female. He didn't have to devise sexual activity. He didn't have to instu- institute marriage as a, sacred, as a sacred union. Yet He did all of that as a gift to the human race. But why did He do that? Why did He do that? And I would submit to you that marriage and marriage intimacy is given to us as a gift, but also as a sign, a sign of the love of God for his people. See, marriage is not merely, it is not a social construct, but it is a theological reality. In Genesis chapter 2, where the woman is created, we find a, a, a paradigm of sorts, a paradigm through which we can see the redeeming relationship of God to his chosen people. In Genesis chapter 2, this is what we read. It is not good, this is what God says, it is not good for man to be alone. But as scripture goes on, what we find is God, uh, God chooses not to be alone and to dwell amongst his people. In Genesis 2, these words are inserted into the narrative for us. A man shall leave his father and mother and shall cleave unto his wife. And so we see in the rest of scriptures God leaves his home in heaven to come rescue his bride out of this adulterous generation. In Genesis 2 it says they shall be one flesh. And so it is with Christ and the church that everything is colored by that union. That is true for both him and for us. We are not united to him on the weekdays and separate from him on the weekends but our whole existence is colored by our relationship and union with him and our destiny as the bride of Christ is eternally connected to him as is his identity as the bridegroom is eternally connected to us in Genesis chapter 2 it says they were both naked the man and his wife and were not ashamed we see here the future hope of intimacy with the Lord where our shame of sin will be removed and we shall see Him face to face uh, as He is. And what I'm trying to establish is that marriage is not merely created by God to give us a source of pleasure. It is not created by God merely for us to continue the human race, but marriage and sexual intimacy is given to us as a sign of the fact that God loves us. And the Bible tells the, the story of God's redeeming love for his bride. But it, uh, after Genesis 3, after the fall, that, that motif of that marriage union is really set aside until you come to Exodus chapter 19, where it's really picked back up in this covenant agreement between Israel and God. And this is alluded to back in Exodus chapter 20 verse 5, where, uh, where the Lord refers to himself as a jealous God. And the idea is is that just as a husband would not tolerate her wife flirting with another man, so Jehovah God would not tolerate his people flirting with other false gods. And it is from here on, Exodus 19 on, that the nation of Israel is treated as the bride of God. Now that looked to be in jeopardy in just a few chapters, really just a few days down the road when as Moses is up on the Mount, on the mountain receiving the tablets with the Ten Commandments engraved on them by the finger of God, the Lord interrupts that because the people are down at the base of the mountain breaking the covenant vows that they have just made with God just a few days prior. And that almost caused God to to back out of the arrangement altogether. I mean, it was cause for divorce. And after... Moses interceded on their behalf. God renewed the covenant vows that he made with Israel. But you see this language begin to take place really explicitly in Exodus 34. If you'll look there with me, in Exodus chapter 34, verses 15 and 16. Verse 14, Thou shalt worship no other God, for the Lord whose name is Jealous is a jealous God. Lest thou make a covenant with the inhabitants of the land, and they go a-whoring after their gods, and do sacrifice unto their gods, and one call thee, and thou eat of his sacrifice. And thou take of, the, of their daughters unto thy sons, and their daughters go a-whoring after their gods, and make thy sons go a-whoring after their gods. So the connection between their faithfulness to God and the, and the faithfulness that a man and a woman are to have to one another in a marriage union is is very clear here. Uh, The the Lord prohibits them from integrating Canaanite uh, uh, lifestyles into their own lifestyles lest they integrate the wrong lifestyle of the Canaanites, the wrong parts of the Canaanite lifestyle, namely that of the worship of false gods. The Lord did not want His people worshiping any other god besides Jehovah God. And God clearly says that if they do this, That if they worship other false gods, it is the equivalent of them going a-whoring after other gods. And he says it three times, three times in two verses to make it very clear that this is what this is. That if you go after other gods, it is equivalent of playing the harlot. The idea is that spiritual idolatry is the equivalent of sexual adultery. And this analogy is made over and over again in the Old Testament repeatedly in the Pentateuch, repeatedly in the Judges, and multiple times in the prophets, the, the nation of Israel is compared to a harlot, is called a harlot, uh, is called a whore for going uh, whoring after other false gods. And this analogy between spiritual idolatry and sexual adul- adultery becomes extremely vivid in the prophet of Hosea. And Hosea, the Lord commands him to go out and marry of the harlots of Israel, to go marry a harlot by the name of, of Gomer. And after he marries Gomer, she bears him children, and eventually she leaves him again to go whoring after other men, to pursue other other uh, other lovers. And no doubt, when we read the book of Hosea, we recoil in sympathy with Hosea. We, recognize the betrayal that Hosea has endured and we recoil. We realize that this is the greatest form of betrayal in, the, in human relationships in the world today. And the Lord uses that as an example to say, yeah, th- this is what Israel has consistently and constantly done to me since Exodus chapter 20. And the analogy is crystal clear. That unfaithfulness to the covenant with God is just like unfaithfulness to the marriage covenant. Now, when we turn to the New Testament, the bride-bridegroom language continues between the church and her bridegroom in Jesus Christ. And listen to what James said in James, and listen to how it resonates with this type of language. He says, Ye adulterers and adulteresses, know ye not that the the friendship of the world is enmity with God, Whosoever will be a friend of the world is the enemy of God. What James says is that when we flirt with the world, when we flirt with the idols that are in our heart, we are committing adultery, spiritual adultery. When we seek satisfaction outside of the Lord Jesus Christ, we are committing adultery on our bridegroom, Jesus Christ. And boy, that raises the stakes, doesn't it? it elevates the importance of our spiritual fidelity to the Lord Jesus. We are in a covenantal relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. And we must treat our responsibilities to be faithful to Him very seriously. And man, take a quick pause here as well, because as I was thinking about this today, it, it, it reminded me that the easy believism that is so pervasive in our independent Baptist churches, does not resonate with this at all. The idea that you can accept Jesus as your Savior but not have any kind of relationship outside of that is just totally foreign to anything that we find in Scripture. This is a this is this is the equivalent of a marriage relationship. It is a lifelong, yea, it is a an eternal commitment entered with the Lord Jesus Christ. There's not a seven-day free trial period. Uh, Try out with the Lord Jesus, but it is a lifelong commitment with the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, one other thing before we close the New Testament shines light on the elevated purpose of our marriage union in light of our spiritual union with the Lord Jesus Christ. See, when we perform our duties as husband and wife, we are preaching the gospel. In Ephesians chapter 5, as Paul is giving the duties of the man and the woman within the marriage vow, he, he links these commands to the theological truth, the reality that we are linked to our bridegroom, Jesus Christ. Just listen to this as Paul uh, connects these two things. Our, 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 our duties as husband and wife to the truth of our reality in Jesus Christ. The husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church and he is the Savior of the body. Therefore, as the church is subject unto Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it. For no man ever yet hateth his own, hated his own flesh, but nourisheth and cherith, cherisheth it, even as the Lord the church. For we are members of his body, of his flesh, and of his bones. For this cause shall a man leave his father and mother, and shall be joined unto his wife, And they too should be one flesh. This is a great mystery. But I speak concerning Christ and the church. Now we tend to focus on the practical commands in Ephesians chapter 5. But we are not to disconnect those practical commands to the truth that is so inextricably connected to those practical commands. See, when we do marriage right, when, when the husband loves the wife sacrificially, and when the wife submits to the husband, The gospel of Jesus Christ is magnified. When I, as a husband, love my wife sacrificially, I reflect the self sacrificing love of the Lord Jesus Christ to his church. When my wife submits to me as her husband, she displays the trusting and submissive spirit that the church should have to Jesus Christ. Now, you may not recognize it when you are performing your regular daily duties to your spouse. But when you do so, you are preaching the Gospel of Jesus Christ, and this is a tremendous responsibility. It really elevates the responsibility of our marital duties to one another because this is an, not only is it an incredible responsibility what a, but what an incredible privilege to reflect as husbands the love that Jesus Christ had for for his church and as 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 wives to reflect the submission and the trust that we have in the Lord Jesus Christ. See, what we find in Scripture is that the mundane parts of our life have so much spiritual significance in our lives as well. Our work, our leisure. We see it in the Ten Commandments. Our work, our leisure, our marriage, our families are not separate from our spirituality, but these are ways that we can please God and preach the gospel to the world. Reflect the character of God to this world. And boy, when you consider the cultural context that we find ourselves, is this not even more magnified in this world where marriage is treated as a, 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 a loosey-goosey, no-fault divorce everywhere, uh, adultery everywhere, pornographic usage everywhere. And here we, as husbands and wives, have an opportunity to reflect the love of God to this world, to reflect the love of Christ and His church to this world. We are called to live above the fray and to let our, shine, our light shine to this world. So what does the seventh commandment tell us? It tells us that the marriage union is sacred, that the inner desires are important, and the sexual reflects the spiritual. As we close, may God help us to be faithful faithful to our spouses, not only in the sense that we never cheat on them, but that we display the bond that Christ and the Church have. May God help us to be transformed to an inner faithfulness to God's word, not merely in external conformity, but in inward fidelity. And finally, may we be committed—may we be as committed to God spiritually as we are to our spouses sexually.